you have fully vacant units on your property that you have mothballed until next semester? If you do, I bet you've thought to yourself, we should list those on Airbnb for game day weekends or for parents visiting their kids. Maybe you're in a college town like Austin or Raleigh or Tallahassee, and your city has large festivals and not enough hotel rooms. You know you could lease those units on a nightly or a weekly basis. Providing short-term rentals on platforms like Airbnb can provide a great source of ancillary income. But it takes some, uh, all right, excuse me, it takes a lot of organization. There's the additional setup of providing linens and coffee makers and all the little things that a short-term tenant will expect. Then there's the regulatory and tax issues that could require additional work. More importantly, there's the time and labor to market on all the multiple platforms, handle the reservations and cancellations, the cleaning, and then there's the bookkeeping. All of this turns into a big distraction from the main job at hand, which is operating and leasing your property. That's where Vector Travel comes in. These guys know the short-term rental industry and they know how to relieve all of those burdens from the property manager. And best of all, they've become experts in how to do that with student properties. They understand the complexity of mixing travelers with college students. They know it so well, they can quickly identify if a student property is not going to be a good fit for their program. So if you have vacant units, reach out to Vector Travel and have them do a free, no obligation assessment to determine if enrolling your vacant units in their program will be beneficial. Go to VectorStays.com forward slash SHI. Fill out a quick form to receive more information. You will also get the first month service fee waived by going to that specific landing page. Again, that's VectorStays.com forward slash SHI. Name, image, and likeness, also known as NIL. What is it? Well, it's allowing student athletes to now get paid for being influencers, essentially. So what does that mean for student housing? We're going to talk about that today. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees, and I'm joined today by my wonderful co-host, Greta Dare. Hi, wonderful. I love that. Hello. So, <laughs> Greta, the last time uh, we spoke, you were getting over COVID, version Omicron, or Omicron. <laughs> version 3.0. <laughs> How are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm doing a lot better. It's taken forever to recover, but definitely, definitely on the upswing of it for sure. Thank you. Well, you sound much better, so at least you got that going for you. Yes, yes. <laughs> so Greta and I are also joined today by a special co-host, Chase Minifield from Easy Turn. Chase, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, you guys, for having me. So for those of you who don't know Chase or Easy Turn, um, I'll let him tell you a little bit more about Easy Turn, but he has simplified a lot of people's life in student housing by what him and his co-founder, Lincoln Ogata, have done uh, with Easy Turn. Of course, Lincoln is co-host for Student Housing Insight Podcast as well, but today we get to talk to Chase. So <laughs> welcome. 
you give me today. I know, I know everybody loves Lincoln. You give me today, though. So, uh, no, thank you, Wes. I appreciate it. You know, we, first of all, thank you in general for you've been very instrumental in our progress with Easy Turn from the very beginning. You're one of our first introductions uh, in the student housing space. So uh, we thank you for all you've helped us with through the journey. So uh, and I'm excited to be on here. Yeah, well, it's it's been fun watching you guys. Uh, man, just uh, move and shake things and, and get people thinking a little bit differently when it comes to how they handle and organize turn and and now a lot of things beyond turn. But the main reason, uh, you know, that we wanted you on here today is you've got a little bit of a background as a student athlete yourself. Uh, yep. You were uh, you played football at, at UVA in Charlottesville and then was drafted by the Washington Redskins, or I should say the Washington football team. <laughs> um, I think they're going to be making a pretty big announcement here soon. <laughs> what that, that, uh, that new name is going to be. You've yeah. also been, uh, you've started a couple of companies since le- leaving the NFL. I would love for you to kind of talk about that as, as you talk about your journey, but also Forbes 2019, 30 under 30. So. <laughs> yeah, that's been a very interesting uh, situation. Uh, you know, the Forbes community has been a uh, a community that is 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 littered with young people that are doing cool things, right? So the best thing about it has not been the recognition. Best thing about it has been the networking, uh, and it's been it's been great to just be in that community and and learn from everybody. <laughs> At least you got it in 2019 when there was still a lot of networking going on. <laughs> right. Exactly. I feel like for the folks that got named in 2020 and 2021, they, they kind of got gypped a little bit. Yeah, they're trying to figure it out. And Lincoln, he always gives me a hard time because I got in at 29 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was over that hump. So, uh, you know, I took that credit. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, um, so let, let's talk really quick about and just jump into the to the NIL discussion. I mean, other than being jealous, <laughs> this legislation wasn't in place when when you were coming through. What what's your opinion as a former student athlete? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? Yeah, give us give us your yeah. insight from that perspective. So I, I, I see it in a couple of different ways because my journey at the University of Virginia was an interesting journey. I think that. Um, you know, my last two years, I was an All-American. I had a little name recognition on campus. But my first two years, I was very unknown. Right? I'm walking around campus, and you're just a guy with the the uh, the sports the sports gear on, right, yeah. uh, type of situation. So for NIL, you know, obviously my last two years, I wish I would have had it in that type of situation because I think I could have capitalized on a lot of opportunities, uh, especially when Charlottesville in a college town. It's a college space, right? Yeah. And uh, – my first two years, I'll probably be a little jealous of everybody that was capitalizing on it because I played with the likes of like Chris Long and some of those name, big name guys that would have, you know, cashed out big time yeah. on, on NIL concepts. So in that space, you know, you probably, you know, it works two different ways. And then I think that's where the, 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 the conversation is a little murky for me. Uh, I think it's great for student athletes because, yes, there is a need for some type of financial situation for, for the athletes. I've always been an advocate of that. But it seems like it's been the gates have been open for for anything to be fair game uh, is what I say. And I think before we got on here, I was just talking about like I watched the we're, we're based in Lexington, Kentucky. So we, we have a lot of Kentucky, University of Kentucky news um, and a couple of the basketball players and, and stuff like that have signed some large NIL partnerships. Uh, but you don't see so much from like the football side uh, and things of that nature. And, and that's where it kind of gets weird for me. And the conversation is like. The, the, the fact of fairness 
when you're talking about like rowers or um, these type of people and things of that nature, where it might not have as much um, pull from like um, visibility standpoint or name standpoint, um, but they are still your peers and your colleagues and you still are eating at the same dining table, dining room type situation. And what kid's pulling up in his dad's hand-me-down car that he just got and other kids pulling up in a, a Porsche that he got from a Porsche uh, NIL deal. You know what I'm saying? So those type of things are just very weird and dealing with the community of the, the athletes that are on campus. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that I see. That's, that's, that's uh, So I am jealous because I do wish I didn't have that concept, but uh, I, th- I think they just got a lot of buttoning up to do on the full perspective of this concept i think yeah yeah. i'm sorry that's such a valid point though because it's there's going to be so many different students that are in different situations but they're also still all students who are trying to juggle being an athlete while also going to school and it's so they all are facing those exact same situations while some are kind of getting different benefits than others so i feel like that's such a valid point yeah, and let's let's talk about you know how this comes back to to student housing. Uh, you know, this legislation from the NCAA went into effect on July first uh, of this past year, and you know across a lot of the the circles that you know I, I'm a part of and and listen to, uh, there was a lot of buzz about oh you know now we can because it's always been a feather in our cap to have some type of relationship with uh, for any property manager to have some type of relationship with you know specifically a team and a, and a coach that uh, you know will will place their players at their property and kind of say hey this is you know as a team this is where we're going to live you know either because of some type of convenience to uh, you know to to their facilities that they use or if it's just something that you know they know that the manager is going to is going to take care of them and look out for them and those are always great relationships to have, but now it's a situation and we've always in the past have had to be very careful with those type of relationships because we don't want to get the coaches or the players in any kind of trouble. Um, and so, you know, discounts that were being offered, you know, had to be offered to everybody, every team and every, you know, other kind of group on campus. And so, um, but now this kind of puts us in a situation that, you know, if, if they're able to, kind of work in that influencer space where, you know, we can have them promote the property, be it on their social media or some other type of <clears throat> advertising. We can now pay them for that. We can discount their rent for that. And, and I think that's, I think a lot of people really got excited about it. You know, Greta, I know you want to talk about this a little bit, but coming from uh, talking to people, both from this, we're going to share an audio today from, a webinar that we did in late October um, with some folks that are really close to this. Darren Heitner with Heitner Legal. He's one of the, he is the foremost NIL attorney out there and and was specifically helping uh, Governor DeSantis with, with passing or writing the NIL legislation for, for Florida. And so that was a, a great opportunity that we had him on to to speak at this webinar, as well as a couple of folks that are that are on the other side of it, representing the players and matchmaking them with uh, with companies and and folks who want to use them from an NIL perspective, 
And so <clears throat> we'll get into, into that interview in just a minute. But from that webinar, as well as a lot of folks that we spoke to at LeaseCon, no one's really executing on it. There's still a lot of fear, it seems like, that, that folks don't want to, um, they don't want to push the button on it. You know, they're excited about it, but they don't, you know, they, they've just got a lot of questions. And so that's one reason we wanted to take this audio from this webinar and put it into podcast form so folks have a chance to, to listen to that. And then um, also just, you know, like we said, wanted to get the perspective from, from Chase and kind of how he thought he would have thought about this as a, as a student athlete. So I, Greta, going back to that point, I mean, what is it that you're hearing from, from folks? You know, are they, are they still excited about it or is this something that they still have more questions than, <laughs> than yeah. answers on right now? Yes. And it's, it was interesting to me because at least con, especially obviously, because there were so many people that were in the major leasing and marketing roles that they did not know exactly how to navigate getting into this. And I know that there are some people who have navigated it, but there were a lot of people who just didn't know where to start. And so, yes, I am really glad that we, you know, we were releasing this as a podcast because, you know, it's going to, we has that broader range of audience um, and is going to give a lot of the tools available to everyone, a lot of the platforms available to everyone. And so, you know, it's, I think that that's wonderful, but I'm also glad Chase that you brought that up about, you know, the different types of teams and different types of athletes that aren't necessarily going to be getting those really huge contracts and instead they're going to get a Porsche or they're going to get this or they're going to get that. Because from our perspective in our industry, if, you know, for anyone in our industry that listens to this and hears about the different ways that they can gain access to these athletes, Wes, like you were just saying, right, it always was a really great thing if we could access an entire team or a number of teammates. That's wonderful for us as an industry because or as a property as a property manager, because it means that if you can bring a number of students in, you've now increased your pre-leasing, right? And that's fantastic. Now we have an added layer of that. Now it's okay if we get the whole rowing team, for instance, Chase, right? So you get the whole rowing team. Well, that also means now you have all of those people who can now post that to their social media. And so now you're getting additional advertising and that's fantastic as well. So you've increased your pre-leasing. You are assisting a whole area of the athletic department department that potentially is not going to be getting these huge contracts, but you're still increasing awareness for your property while taking care of the pre-leasing as well. So there are huge opportunities because I think another problem is that a lot of our property management companies are like, oh, well, all of the, the big important athletes, like they're getting all of these huge contract deals. It's like, yeah, but you don't necessarily need the huge, huge athlete. Your, your job is to fill spaces and you can do that. You know, if we're talking about UK, then yeah, you can do that with the other athletic department. The goal is to fill the beds, heads and beds, guys, heads and beds. That's what we're after here. And if you have 30 people or you have 15 teammates that are all going to be out there on Instagram or on whatever it is, and they're going to be talking about you and that's in your contract and you're giving a housing discount, that's the goal and you are accomplishing it now. So listening to this, hearing the different ways that you can gain access or reaching out to the, the university, however it is that you go about this, you now have access to be able to fill your communities. And right now, I'm just throwing it out there because when this does get released, now is the time that we're going to need to be doing it because I know that a lot of people who, as we go into the 
second semester are going to need to be hitting the ground running with pre-leasing. This is going to be your key to be able to increase those numbers. So if you haven't done it yet, if you haven't been taking advantage of this NL or NIL, now is the time to access any of those athletes that have not been accessed yet. Go after them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Chase, let me let me ask you. I mean, going back to you know when you were living in Charlottesville, and and we've had a couple of discussions, you know, about where you chose to live and why you chose to live uh, there and that type of thing. But thinking about having that opportunity available now, and kind of considering all things equal, you know, as far as you know, not necessarily who's giving you the best deal, you know, what what community would be giving you the best discount or or whatever let's just assume that everybody's kind of offering the same thing, right? What, what would be some of the other things, you know, as a student athlete that, that you're thinking about, that's going to be key for you making that decision? Um, obviously proximity to the athletic facilities is a huge thing. Uh, that's where we spend most of our time at. Most people usually come in right at the, at the, at the, at the bell for meetings and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and workouts and things of that nature. So the quicker they can get there, the better. Uh, type situation. But I do want to make a point that, you know, our, our, my largest expense when I was in school was my rent. So that was the number one thing that we're trying to clear on a, on a monthly basis. Uh, everything else is pretty much taken care of, uh, taken care for athletes in general, as far as eating, uh, books, uh, study, where to, where to study, things of that nature. But if you're living off campus, uh, then your rent is your biggest thing uh, that, you, that you're trying to cover. Uh, type situation. So I think there's a huge opportunity in the space in general uh, to try to help out or to try to get people in those spaces and to put our heads in beds, as Greta said. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, proximity um, is probably the number one thing that I would say uh, right out the gate, uh, just because, you know, from an athlete's schedule, they're going to spend, I mean, besides the weekends, but let's say, let's look at Monday through Friday, Monday through Friday, you know, they're, they're, they're just in, they're going to sleep in the in the room, that's pretty much it. From 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 morning to morning through the end of the day, your 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 schedule is packed as with what's supposed to be with classes and uh, study halls, lunches, food, mandatory food, workout, all those different types of things like that. So there was times at, at uh, UVA when I was there that I was waiting for the bus at nine o'clock and I left at eight a.m. Uh, from my dorm type situation. So you know, it's, it's not much time being spent, especially in the season, in your actual season, in the actual units and things of that nature. So the ability for you to get there and get back and forth um, from where you're supposed to be or to get get to campus easily, get to your classes easy, um, proximity becomes a, a big factor, I would say. Yeah, and uh, I want to break that down for, for everybody just to think about. You may you may be at a property that isn't the closest, you know, to the, to the athletic facilities, but you know, maybe you provide a shuttle service, you know, are there things, you know, if you're, if you're trying to go after a specific team or a group of athletes, it, it's probably worth sitting down with the bus driver or the, you know, the, the transportation company that, that you contract with to say, Hey, we want to make sure that we're, uh, you know, we're getting all students to where they need to go. But, you know, is there a way that we can, you know, modify the schedule so that we make sure that these guys know that they're going to be, uh, guys and gals, that they're going to be dropped off at this particular location at this particular time, and it's going to run like clockwork, uh, you know, to maybe give that <clears throat> a little bit more priority. Greta, any other 
kind of suggestions like that when it comes to those properties that, that may not be right beside of the baseball field or right beside of the football field? No, I do want to kind of touch on what you just said about the shuttle, though, because I think that a lot of people that hear that, that they look at that as an obstacle. And I want to reiterate for a lot of people, shuttle transportation, that doesn't mean you have to run out and buy a shuttle. There's a lot of ways to get around that. There's there's ways that you can um, sign contracts with shuttle services. And those, I mean, you're looking at maybe $15,000 over a year. And if you're able to sign an entire team or 30 people, and you're talking about all of those spaces to be filled, that is a worthy investment into your property. And typically speaking, you just have to change your insurance at your property. But other than that, that means that that's going to come with a driver dedicated to your actual site, and they're going to take care of the licensing and all of that stuff. So just because of the fact that, you know, you did just say that, Wes, I do want to point that out to anyone that's listening, and you may not know where to begin. There are a lot of shuttle and transportation services where they can provide either an actual shuttle or a van. And that is a service that you can add to your property without having to go out and purchase and wrap and go through that whole entire process at your community. For anyone that doesn't know that that is an option, it absolutely is. And you would just have to do that cost comparison to the number of leases that you're signing to the cost of the actual contract that you would be signing as well. Yeah. And and those contracts aren't, aren't cheap. I mean, it's just to do something during, during the academic year, you know, 10 months out of the year, you're looking at a lot of the expenses I've seen, you know, are typically anywhere between ninety to hundred twenty thousand a year, and that's just one shuttle, and that doesn't even include, you know, uh, the fuel and, and and other things. So that's just you know, cost of having a driver and a vehicle and insurance. That's not even including maintenance. So, um, and uh, yeah, so obviously all that has to be. All that has to be considered, but yeah, I mean, my main thing is, you know, talk to the, talk to your student athletes, um, you know, that are, that you're considering on, on doing this and really just sitting down and finding out, you know, what it is that, <clears throat> that you can provide for them that uh, is going to make life a little bit easier, make that decision a little bit uh, easier, because I think, uh, you know, what we're able to, to offer from an, NI, from an NIL perspective is going to be really based on two things. One, how far that, that student athletes reaches, you know, and, and let's face it, we're someone, you know, a, a blue chip athlete may certainly take on, you know, a, a, a call it a 30% housing discount just because that's what the rest of his teammates are getting. And that's just kind of a blanket offer. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, that he or she's going to be able to, uh, to give you all the things that that you're looking for, you know, when it comes to to posting or you know attending events, those kind of things, they just may not be able to to do those for for that for that same discount. Doesn't mean that you don't offer that blue chip athlete that that type of a discount. You just got to understand that they may not be able to to do all the things that you would like them to do or requiring of the other ones. But yeah, just I think having conversations. And don't be afraid of going to the coaches and, and talking through it as well. But I do want to be very clear. There is some very gray lines when it comes to working with coaches, working with any faculty or staff from the university and putting together um, a deal because if they will be in violation, if it's 
if it's a situation where they are are bringing or brokering any type of NIL deal um, to the players. So, uh, and that's another reason I, I really suggest using some of these third party companies that that broker those deals because it's uh, you just. Like I said, you want to have a good relationship with the coaches, but this is a situation where you want to make sure that you're certainly not paying them to make those introductions or or for anything that's signed with an athlete because that will get them in trouble for sure. Well, guys, I want to make sure that we, we've got enough time for everybody to listen to, to this webinar that we had. So I'm going to go ahead and cut to that. And then when we come back in the outro, uh, Chase, I want to talk with you really quick about what's going on at, at Easy Turn and some of the things you guys are doing there. Sounds good. All right. Enjoy this, guys. So to begin with, we'll start with Darren Heitner. Uh, Darren is the founder of Heitner Legal. He's been very instrumental, uh, an instrumental part in helping the state of Florida and their legislature draft their NIL legislation, which was the first state to pass an NIL bill. Uh, Darren, tell us a bit more about what you and your firm are doing in the NIL space. Sure. First of all, thanks so much for having me. Uh, what my firm is doing currently and what we've been doing for the past four months is largely assisting both athletes and brands with the transactional affairs surrounding NIL, name, image, and likeness. And so on the athlete side, I'm not very focused on procuring the opportunities, but for with one specific individual, that being Anthony Richardson, the quarterback at University of Florida. Mainly what we're doing is after the deals have been brought in, either by the athletes or their respective agents, we are looking over those contracts and largely negotiating them and making sure that the athletes are very protected. Everything from looking at the term, the compensation, the intellectual property rights, et cetera. We're also working with athletes who now for the very first time have the capacity to earn money and protect them by creating corporate structures surrounding them and loaning out the athlete services so they're not necessarily contracting on their individual in their individual capacity. Um, we're also helping with protecting their intellectual property, filing trademark applications, ensuring that content, uh, including copyrights, have been properly cleared so that we're that they're not creating unnecessary exposure for themselves. And then outside of working with the athletes, we're also working with many brands and advising and consulting them on best practices, what their contracts should be looking like when they are providing them to the athletes or the agents, helping them best understand the various laws that have been passed in over 25 states um, and how they vary state by state, as well as the NCAA, NCAA's interim NIL policy. Um, and then finally, the respective school NIL policy. So there's a lot to get through. Um, whether you're on the brand or the athlete side, it helps having someone or a firm that has uh, been working in it for the first four months. And uh, I've been working in this space even prior uh, to July 1, 2021. Well, fantastic. So next up is Jason Bergman. He is the co-founder and CEO of Market Price, which is a technology platform making direct connections between brands and athletes. Jason, tell us a bit more about what Market Price is doing in the NIL space. All right, so we've still got some more techn technology uh, things going on. You may have to just log out and log back in. Um, let's go ahead and move to Mike. Mike, is your audio working? I hope so. I turned yes. it on. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> 
So um, really quick about Mike. He's he's the the one guy on our. I think we probably all have several jobs, but he officially has two jobs. <laughs> Mike Blewett is the senior vice president of property acquisition and media at College Sports Management Group, also known as CSMG. He is also an on-air host for Sports Grid. He's probably going to be the sexiest voice you're going to hear today. So, <laughs> Mike, second place. Greta's got me beat. Come on, <laughs> come on, Wes. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about how CSMG is intersecting with name, image, and likeness. Sure. So, uh, Collegiate Sports Management Group has been around for six years, and they made their way, and we have made our way in the college space by interacting with conferences and schools of all different divisions, one, two, and three, uh, junior colleges as well, in a variety of different business uh, initiatives, uh, media rights negotiation, uh, sponsorship sales, esports, and as it's been evolving over the last couple of years, uh, name, image, and likeness. And we have really two tracks that we're following right now. And I think it's important for everybody to know that even though NIL came into the public for in July and probably a little bit before that, it's continuing to evolve. I don't think uh, myself nor Darren nor Jason would uh, explain that we've got it all figured out and we know exactly what the long tail of this is going to look like. It continues to evolve. But collegiate CSMG has really uh, two pipelines. One is that we are working with schools and conferences on a regular basis and showing them a specific platform that they can use to manage NIL activity. Uh, that, platform, that platform is called Open Doors. There are a number of other NIL platforms out there, but Open Doors has been around for over a decade and had made it, uh, had made this platform an easy to use platform for athletes, professional athletes and Olympians at the time to be able to find uh, different business deals, endorsement deals, things of that nature. And it has now expanded, obviously, to student athletes. There are 50,000 student athletes registered on Open Doors, which they can do for free and open up commerce for them in a two-way basis. They can go find deals and certainly brands can potentially find them. So uh, think of it as a software license for the school so that their student athletes can sign up for that platform and then uh, start the potential flow of commerce. And the second way is not dissimilar to what Darren had mentioned before. We are connecting agencies and brands specifically with student athletes. We work on behalf of the brand and or the agency in order to find a way for their message to be conveyed through student athletes. It's to this point up to July 1st. It wasn't a, an avenue that they could pursue, but now it is. And I, we have a video here, Wes. I don't know if you can click on that video and show you a recent endorsement deal that we were able to put together with a gentleman named Cade York. He's the place kicker at LSU. Uh, Darren, I know uh, you're a Gator, so forgive me for it being a, a <laughs> Tiger. But uh, for the purposes of this, uh, it's to show everybody how the brands can connect with a specific player. Yeah, let's play that really quick. Hold on just a second. Hopefully this won't give everybody echo issues, but let's go for it. I'm Kay Jork, and I just signed the boldest contract in college football. Velveeta's Queso contract. Because when I'm kicking, you can be dipping. Every time I line up for 50-plus, you could score a free Queso. Co-sign the Queso contract. So there's a little bit of an echo there, but I think you all got a sense of what that can look like. Uh, Cade York, 
I was able to put together these commercials for Velveeta. It got tons of traction, millions of views. Uh, of that vi specific video you, you saw is directly from Velve Velveeta's Twitter feed, and that has two and a half million views, not to mention the ones on his personal uh, social media accounts, plus LSU football picked it up, and it gained a lot of traction in the millions and millions of views for that simple uh, Velveeta commercial. So yeah. that's one yeah. way in which we're connecting student-athletes with brands. Yeah, yeah. And not, you know, what, he wasn't the quarterback. He wasn't, you know. That's right. Yeah, you know, and, and that's, yeah, that's fantastic. I love it. I think we've got Jason back. Jason, are you there? I think so. Can you hear yeah. me? Oh, nice. Let's have some fun now. Awesome. Well, I, I hope I didn't miss anything too fun. But, yeah, very, you know, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I was going to say, Wes, very cool. You had us kind of like backstage behind the curtain. I thought that was awesome. And then it slowly reveals ourselves to talk <laughs> NIL. So epic. We're stealing that for our own webinars moving forward and going to take credit for it. But I'll, I'll give you some. But uh, yeah, to, to give some intro on myself, uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Market Price. So I know Mike was mentioning Open Doors a little bit and, um, you know, Darren's working on these deals as well, which is awesome. Um, my background has always been in sports marketing. So I started my career working with businesses as big as Anheuser-Busch and DraftKings and CBS Sports and Vitamin Shop, helping them work with athletes all the way to like local car dealerships um, and everything in between. And I saw the need for a, a two-sided marketplace, more so than an open doors one-sided. And we could get into you know, how exactly we work, uh, if that's helpful. But I, I saw the need for a company like Market Price, and I wanted to sort of test it out to see if this is something that athletes or agents wouldn't need. I know we're on video, so you guys can't see how tall I am. I'm not an athlete. I'm like 5'7". I, I wish I could just snap my fingers and try to be a pro athlete or student athlete. I can't. Um, so I started my own sports marketing agency, actually, where I reached out to a couple thousand professional athletes. And I was like, look, I'd love to be able to bring you marketing deals. I'm a huge sports nerd. So it was the guys at the end of the roster that I knew like the back of my hand, uh, cause I'm watching them every single day on Sunday and, and watching them play in the NBA. And over the course of a couple of years, I represented 12 NFL and NBA athletes, helping them find marketing deals. And I saw how hard it was to consistently go from zero to one. And I compare it a lot to like dating app where really hard to find someone to go on a date with. That's why dating apps are multiple billion dollar businesses because you log onto an app and you swipe right or left on someone who has also signed up to this app because they want to match with you. So with student athletes, that is a huge opportunity, right? Give, and Greta said it really well, give the power to these student athletes where you can take marketing into your own hands. Um, so our business, we launched in January. So six months before July and, uh, you know, since our launch in January, we've raised over just about three and a half million dollars. We've grown our team to 13 employees and we've seen over 3000 matches created between athletes and brands, uh, between over 1600 athletes and 400 companies. And in just 10 months, we are already in the number one marketplace in terms of like active opportunities for student athletes, which is really exciting. And, you know, I feel like we're still just getting started. So yeah, that's a, a quick background on me. It would suck if I was on mute the whole time. I feel like you would have interrupted me uh, <laughs> a, a, like a minute in. So I hope you guys heard all that. Yeah, no, no, thanks. And let's um, let's talk a little bit about, I guess the first question I want to, to really ask you guys is, is how is this new policy from the, from the NCAA as well as the related you know, legislation um, from the States, how is that disrupting college athletics? And, and Jason, I think we'll start with you on that. Sure. 
Uh, I could start with the fun side of the opportunity, and I'm sure Darren can come in with the hard-hitting uh, legal analysis of why it's a mess right now. Um, but I think the coolest thing of how it's affecting college sports and just college life in general from our perspective is, you know, we're talking to companies every day, but we're talking to student athletes every day. And, you know, we've seen a lot of student athletes just know NIL, but not know anything else really about it. And it's like a totally open landscape, right? It's like a whiteboard of these athletes really need education. Um, and, you know, they're in school getting education for classes, but with NIL, it's, you know, we see it as a big opportunity to teach athletes like, hey, well, now you're starting a little bit earlier on building your brand, on accessing these opportunities, whether it's partnering with companies like yourself at SHI, you know, getting housing, but also working with protein bar companies, working with mac and cheese companies that I love Velveeta. I had that all the time in college. Now he probably gets free Velveeta for life. That's awesome. So it's really giving the opportunity to college athletes. Um, the only thing that I didn't love is how fast it happened, where the student athletes in school now it's just like, they're like, it's like a startup, right? They didn't even have any time to prep for it, really. So I think, you know, in a year from now, in two years from now, in 10 years from now, uh, when NIL is a, not as new and sexy, and it's more just commonplace, uh, student athletes are going to be a lot better, uh, you know, uh, accustomed to handle this. And uh, again, that's why I think companies like Market Price, like Open Doors is doing an amazing job as well, educating student athletes, being a resource for student athletes to help. Um, but yeah, I did think it came a little fast, even though we've been talking about it forever. But yeah, that's that's just my take. I see a you know, of course, a huge opportunity, and I'm sure I'm not alone with that. It, Mike, before we move to Darren on that on that question, I mean, you, you know, you're you're primarily working with with the colleges, and mm -hmm. and from that standpoint, you know, how are they seeing this? You know, both from a, a recruiting standpoint, and then you know, also from selling their own advertising, you know, or companies pulling out of advertising on stadiums and on fields, you know, in order to pay the athletes directly. Sure. I, I would say that it's important to note that I think all of us understand that as much as we are all bullish on the movement towards NIL being legal for college athletes to be able to monetize their name, image, and likeness, all of us on this call are, are bullish about it. We understand, I think, sort of the tricky spot that the colleges are in. There are, as Darren can speak to more eloquently than I could, there are a wide-ranging number of legal issues that have yet to be worked out. It's a lot of nebulous situations regarding the legality, the disclosure of certain NIL deals, and for the schools to have to get on top of that in whatever respective state they happen to be in can be difficult. But uh, many of the athletic departments in across the country are made up of former student athletes. So they are supportive right. of it overall. And from a recruiting standpoint, <laughs> if you aren't uh, on board, it'll be quickly snuffed out that you are not, you're a program that's made perhaps not supportive of this initiative. And I think everybody, you know, even if they didn't believe it, which I think almost all of them do, they would have to publicly support it because you would, you would find yourself, uh, falling behind in recruiting and, and being not supportive of student athletes. So that's that's part one. Part two, as far as the advertising is concerned, I think we definitely need more data to be able to figure out exactly if there's any percentage that's saying being cannibalized from what a brand was giving to a school and diverting part of that towards the student athletes specifically. Uh, but I can tell you that's definitely a concern. 
for certain athletic departments. I don't know that it's happened yet. I don't know that it will happen. We're also uh, coming off a, a situation where for the last year and a half, we didn't have fans in a lot of instances or, or they were limited. So we're coming into NIL off of COVID restrictions and schools to some extent are still getting their legs under them as far as uh, full capacity stadiums and arenas. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, it's definitely a concern. I think it remains to be seen whether that will cannibalize at all. But it is possible that the rising tide lifts all boats and brands find it even more attractive to activate in the collegiate marketplace because now they can attack it from two angles. They can put signage in the stadium. They can tie that same signage to specific student athletes and promote that brand. So I think from that standpoint, it remains to be seen, but I don't think it's an overall negative for the schools. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you're right about that. I think, I think there's, there's something to be, I, I think with, with student athletes is using them as an influencer. I think there's going to be something immediately yeah. that, you know, folks are, are going to, you know, look at from a, from a long-term standpoint though, we'll say, you know, how about if you pick the athlete to promote your property that, you know, ends up doing something that, you know, just doesn't work out. Right. And, and it mm -hmm. ends up being a bad image for your property. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people are interested in would love to, um, I should have made that a poll question, but um, would love to hear back in the chat. Yeah, think about it because Wes, you could have an athlete that will be very well known just take a basketball player, for instance, that uh, has gone the route of going to school X and will be there for his one season before he's a lottery yeah. pick. It's entirely possible that you can activate a brand endorsement through that athlete. But if you have a pre-existing relationship with the school, that school is going to be there for the rest of your lifetime. And that athlete may have moved uh, in and off campus in a matter of six or nine months. So that that's important to know for brand equity and, and long-term sustainability of activating with a school. Yeah. 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 And spending your dollars on the athlete that that's, I, I feel like that's a higher risk, you know, versus spending it with, um, you know, on signage at the stadium or whatever, um, because that relationship, you know, that the university's not going anywhere. I mean, we've seen some universities and some athletic departments go through some pretty crazy crap. Right. And, um, and, and, you know, and a lot of scandals and that type of thing, but they're not going anywhere. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I would just kind of mention that to the folks that are out there trying to figure out what to do with those budgeting dollars. That's something you've got to think about. But hey, let, let's get over to Darren because you know, Darren, you've been at the forefront of this with you know with the legislation in, in Florida. Like I said earlier, Florida was the first one um, to come out the gate with with a bill um, that was passed. Uh, overall, the the burden that's this left on state legis legislatures and, and the colleges to to figure out compliance is there a lot of is there a, it seems like i'm hearing a lot of things that the universities the states um and the ncaa are all just kind of pointing their fingers at each other um can you expand on that a little bit well first i'd love to take credit as the first state to pass nil legislation it was actually california um back in 2019 oh gotcha california. gotcha but, but we were in Florida the very first state to have a July 1, 2021 effective date. California's was 2023. And so we really did push the envelope on that front. With regard to your question about pointing fingers, no one's pointing fingers. Um, what happened was in March of 
2020, uh, the state of Florida passed its legislation. It was signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis in June of 2020. And so that gave the NCA roughly a year to figure out what it was going to do, if anything at all. And it went through various proposals. In the meantime, in that gap of a year, many other states decided we're going to use their Florida's, California's, any other state as a template for our own NIL laws. And what ended up happening is you'd have divergence. A state like Texas, for instance, decided that it wanted to specifically exclude certain types of products like tobacco, marijuana, gambling, et cetera. Whereas we're silent in the state of Florida and imagine in states that don't have any NIL laws whatsoever. So June 30th comes about of this year, one day prior to July 1, the day that we're going live in Florida and many other states are going live. And the NCA says, with less than 12 hours to spare, we're going to provide our temporary interim NIL policy, which four months later, I guess you can shed the interim designation because it's, it remains the same. And what did the NCA basically say? Well, the, the guardrails are very slim. It's there must be quid pro quo. So you can't just drop a bag of cash for an athlete. The athlete has to provide some sort of deliverable. The compensation can't be contingent on the athlete going to a university or staying at that university. In fact, I just negotiated a contract where the brand tried to make it so that it would only be effective if the athletes stayed at that university. And we negotiated that out. Um, and then third, there can't be compensation based on on-field, on-court performance. So there can't be these types of performance-based bonuses. That's pretty much it from the NCAA's perspective. And then the NCAA said to the athletes, after that, you have to look at your respective state NIL laws if they exist. Um, and to the extent that there are not NIL laws within your state, you have to look at your respective school NIL policies. In four months, the NCAA has been completely hands-off. I think there was one instance, and I think it was with Lululemon, where the NCAA kind of imposed its will and said there had to be some quid pro quo because it didn't seem to exist in a deal that Lululemon was offering. Otherwise, the NCAA has been completely silent. The various states have been very silent from a regulatory standpoint, too. While they've created their respective statutes to the, to the extent that they have, there doesn't seem to be much of an enforcement mechanism, or at least anyone within those states that wishes or seeks to enforce those regulations thus far. Um, I'm not sure of many violations, but to the extent that there are any, we haven't heard of any threats or litigation on that front. And then the schools are basically just looking at their respective state laws, if there are any, looking at their own policies, looking at the NCAA's policy. And in most circumstances, they're not even acting as a clearinghouse. They're just documenting the deals that are being done in case there's an issue. The biggest one being, well, there's two. One, brands and athletes can't use the marks of the universities, the, the names, uh, the logos of the universities without having consent. And even in a state like South Carolina, its law says the schools can't even provide that consent. So that's number one. Um, the other issue is when there's a potential conflict between the terms of an athlete deal with a brand and the terms of a deal between the university and a separate brand. So if an athlete does a deal with a shoe and apparel brand, and that brand wants that athlete to wear that, that brand's shoes on the court, but yet the school has a deal in place with a separate brand that requires the athlete wear the competing brand shoes, that can't exist. The, the, the athlete will have to wear the shoes of the brand that the school is engaged with. That's really what the schools are looking out for. And again, we have not at least publicly seen any conflicts thus far. Gotcha. 
So let's bring this back to, to housing for a minute. So one thing I'm hearing you say is, you know, if, if the punter lives with me at my property and he misses the, uh, excuse me, I said the punter, but the, the field goal kicker, he, he misses the field goal. I can't kick him out the next week is what you're telling me, huh? That's right. Um, it, the, the deals are guaranteed in that sense. I mean, and to be honest, like no professional athlete would ever negotiate a deal that allows a brand to do that anyway. Um, right. you, know, you know, athletes are going to want guarantees in place. And so, um, no, the, the answer is that, that they can't, that the deals cannot be contingent on the success or failure of the athlete. Um, but I wanted to also address something you mentioned earlier, uh, because a lot of people try to say, oh, this isn't a great deal for brands because, you know, of the guaranteed type of element. But you talked about what if a, an athlete does something that denigrates the reputation of the brand? Mm-hmm. Well, there's something called a morals clause that can easily be negotiated in these contracts, which are commonly negotiated in professional athlete contracts. If an, if an athlete does something, let's say an athlete uh, is convicted of a crime. Um, or is even accused of a crime or does something that uh, goes against the morals of the brand. And these are negotiated terms. Uh, You can include that. You can include that type of clause within an agreement and get out of the agreement as the brand. And that is irrespective of whether the athlete is still on the team or at the university. So let's talk a little bit about the compliance and, and, and contracts while we're there. And and, um, Jason, I think this, you know, if, if I'm looking at um, athletes at, at my school and I'm using market price um, and, and we go through that, pro, you know, if, if it's either some type of, you know, either free housing or it's, or it's, you know, direct cash or whatever, how's, using groups like yourself where you've got a technology platform that's making that connection, is the contract like, do you guys provide that? Is that something that the housing providers need to go to? someone like Darren for explain that a little bit to me. Yeah, I think it's case by case too. And I also want to throw out a plug to Darren Heitner on Twitter. Who's a beast who literally is like the NIL lawyer. There's nothing I enjoy more than Darren just being like, there's more to NIL than just performance on the field. So go check him out. If you haven't already, Uh, I enjoy seeing those threads, but in terms of compliance, yeah, like there's a question I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later, Wes of like, is it better to use a company like a market price or just kind of go at it yourself? A guy like Darren isn't sitting around doing maybe a hundred dollar deals or free product deals and in, in right. contracts. So unless he is, I would be based on that view of the beach he's got behind him. I, can't. I doubt it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's so like, that's the, you know, he mentioned AR 15 go Gators. He mentioned the Cavender <laughs> twins, like these bigger deals. Um, sure. They could be started on a, a platform like a market price, but we always recommend if they're like in the six figures or bigger, like, you know, what, use a professional like Darren. Um, but a lot of the deals on market price, you know, a few, most of the thousands of deals are free product deals, right? There may be a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars um, where it's the not top 1% of athletes. So not the quarterback, but maybe the kicker, you know, all the other kickers in the country that don't have a Velveeta deal, right? Um, where we have a, a, a contract in place where we automatically generate who was in the deal, how much the deal was worth, cash and product what the athlete needs to do in exchange for it, and then just contact details of who's the person at the brand they're dealing with and our contact details as well. We've seen that you know be more than acceptable to these schools when they uh, disclose these deals to their own universities. Um, and that's something where like, you know, even Darren mentioned it, right? Of like, who's coming down on these athletes? We wanna make sure that it's never the athlete's fault, right? Like we're giving them everything that they need. 
uh, in terms of what's included in these deals. But uh, to answer your question, like specifically, I'd say a guy like Darren is, is too good at what he does to do a contract for like a $250 deal. Market price has that contract where there's not going to be things like morals clauses because it's a one-off post, right? Um, they may not renew those deals and make them year-long deals where there's going to be more terms, but we have a, a you know really standard thing going. And again, that's pretty standard across the other marketplaces like an open doors and icon source and uh, you know, the other, the other players out there. Yeah. So for that, sorry, I'm totally going to cut in because this is one of the things that I was actually wondering about. And it kind of builds off of that same thing is for the housing communities, because obviously I feel like for a lot of this that we're going to be looking at engaging with students for obviously discounted housing or free housing in exchange for things, right? And so I feel like these types of or these types of platforms are kind of the ideal place to put it on there because that's ideally what you're looking at. But yeah. I feel like you're also going to require a morality clause to a certain extent because you do have to protect the brand and it does need to have those additional values built in. Is it going to match the community? If somebody's going to be posting on your behalf or doing virtual, anything like that, any videos or something like that. So having that post go on something like Marketplace to at least get that relationship started with those different types of players that aren't the star quarterback or something like that, and then have an additional agreement afterwards that potentially you work out is that something that people like you know our directors of marketing uh, that that's something that they could do as well between two legal teams absolutely yeah i was just talking to a company um their name is called kelp nft i spoke with them probably like an hour ago and they help athletes design their own nfts where there are a lot more intricacies to those contracts where they start the conversation on market price and then they can take the conversation off afterwards that's why I like to compare us a lot to those dating apps where you go on your first date on Tinder. If you're messaging someone back on Tinder or Hinge after five or six dates and not just texting them, there's probably something funky going on, right? Like it, that's something where the, the zero to one's the hardest part. And excuse me for all the dating app analysis. That's what student yeah, there's apps are. There's a lot going on there. You, you keep yeah. rolling it back to dating apps, man. <laughs> we Storytelling is all about starting where people are familiar with, right? So two-side marketplace closing endorsement like that's something that these student athletes not totally aware of right (laughs) so we want to make it understandable and uh yeah it works for us but yeah i hope i hope that helps but then again like the thing is a lot of it is you know can be case by case right it's not just churning out these deals um i know one thing that we try to do and focus on and what we've been great at is that zero to one of just even for you guys right let's say you do want to work with student athletes where do you even start like you may know that's, the market, I think that's been everybody's biggest question since this started is nobody knows where to begin. And so I think this is exactly what it is, is these types of platforms of the the tender of 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 sports relationships. This is where you start. You get posted on this to be able to gain access. And so that the student athlete or athletes can gain access to your communities all nationwide. And then from there, you negotiate the terms directly with that student athlete. So there is the answer to your questions. For anybody that's been wondering, this is where you start. Ta-da. Great. Yeah, and, and one amazing other... pitch on Mark Price, by the way. Let's talk after this. That's exactly right? our pitch to these Where's companies. my cut, sir? Where's my cut? We have job postings up. I'll send it. We'll talk afterwards. <laughs> I don't want to bore the audience, but absolutely. I love it. So one other um, uh, and one other resource with that, too, that um, I was speaking with Darren about before we went on, before we went live, is um, is his blog site, Sports Agent 
blog.com and I think there's some um, some resources that you can find there. Darren, I don't know if there's a if there's better directions you can give them on that. Uh, no, it's it's sportsagentblog.com and uh, if you click on the menu, there's a drop down and you'll be able to see the various NIL laws as well as the NIL school policies to the extent that they've been published. Uh, and if you're in a state uh, that has an NIL law, you'll be able to pull it up and use that to, to guide you in terms of uh, what you can and can't do. Uh, again, a lot of the states have very similar NIL laws to the extent that they have any NIL law whatsoever. Uh, the NCA has also published its interim NIL policy. Attached to it is, a, I think, a three-page Q&A, which provides some additional insight as well. Ultimately, um, any contract, as I mentioned, should be provided by the athlete to the university through whatever platform the compliance department dictates. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important to, if you can uh, and you have the capacity, utilize uh, a law firm to assist you in, in navigating this process. You know, if, if you're providing, I heard earlier, maybe that you're providing discounted or free lodging. You know, we just negotiated a, a deal for an athlete to have a, a free car for the remainder of his time at his university. The ink just went dry and it'll be announced next week. And, you know, there were certain things that we had to clearly focus on. And there were probably five rounds of back and forth on the document before we actually met uh, eye to eye on, on you know, what it should look like and to make sure that we're not in violation of any law or rules. So it, it's important. So, and we've got uh, Tiffany Alsa, um asked, she's with Cardinal Management Group. She asked as well, and it's kind of similar question to, to what I had earlier. Does working with companies like Open Doors, Yoke, and Market Price to book your athletes, take the legalities, if any, off of the communities? Um, are there risks doing a deal directly with a with an athlete versus an agent? Can you guys talk a little bit about agent? Because I, I don't, I don't think they can actually have an agent, correct? No, they can. They, they yeah, definitely they can. can ha- okay. okay. They just need to be registered in their own state where they operate. Okay. Uh, no, they need to be. Let me clarify. They need to be licensed in the state in which the athlete is domiciled, which uh, is technically where the athlete is enrolled. Okay. Okay. And Tiffany, I don't know if your question, when you were saying agent, I don't know if you were talking about uh, companies like market price, or if you were talking about yeah, a regular sports agent, that's, that's kind of what went my mind when I, when I saw that question, but maybe you were talking about market price. Um, I mean, Wes, just to, just to answer sort of generally uh, platforms like market price and open doors and others are going to provide obviously some sort of comfort or safe haven. There's terms and conditions on these platforms that are established. If you you can always go to a student athlete directly and potentially negotiate a deal, but then you are working with potentially another third party, somebody like Darren, in order to negotiate it, which would also be perfectly viable. But uh, these platforms have vetted thousands of transactions to this point. So you'll obviously most likely if you're more comfortable starting out that way yeah. before you potentially make inroads to a student athlete, which to be honest, if you're somebody that's running uh, a student housing facility, I don't know what your connections are necessarily directly with student athletes. Even somebody like myself, there's generally a buffer 
between myself and the student athletes specifically. We work with schools and athletic departments and what I do, but I don't have as much access to the student athletes specifically. I would be more likely to use a platform in order to reach out to them, in order to structure the deal yeah. uh, and make it very specific towards well, them, or to I- a range of student athletes that fit what you are looking for in the endorsement. It doesn't necessarily have to be 1v1. Uh, in these platforms, you can set a range of characteristics that you're looking for, regional, uh, gender, sport specific, and then uh, send that deal out to a certain number, set a limit on it. And you say the first five people to accept this deal is who we'll use. Yeah. And, and what I like about the, the tech platforms, you know, be it market price, influencer, um, you know, they're really for the student, it's keeping and, and I say student because that's what they are. It, it's keeping it's keeping this organized for them. It's it's keeping them compliant, um, and everything is just so much more transparent. I think if you you know if certainly you're welcome to go and and offer something directly, but um, you know I my feeling is you're going to be more apt to get an athlete to say yes if it's going through some type of process that he or she trusts. And so that would be my recommendation. Greta, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that or not, but. No, I completely agree. I, you know, I was racking my brain trying to go through or trying to figure out how I would direct one of my team members to go out and try to get one of these deals on their own. And it's like, you know, one of the standard methods of, you know, if you're a marketing specialist and you're out in the market, it's like, oh, okay, go meet up with the different coaches and, you know, giving information and creating a really great looking flyer or portfolio and dropping off your card being like, we'd really love to work with some of your student athletes and offer them free housing and exchange. And, you know, but it's like, you're trying, you're still going through barriers and you're you're still not meeting up with them directly or if you have students that are your CAs or whatever the case may be and trying to make those connections we're basically doing the same thing that we're trying to do with student influencers when we're trying to find them on our own versus working with a company that already has student influencers we already like we've already learned this lesson guys sometimes it's easier to just work with the companies that already do this well um, and so to me it makes sense instead of trying to navigate this on our own, to just just work with the tech that works, <laughs> especially yeah. with something like this, yeah, Jason, and, and understand it's. Yeah. Go ahead, Russ, sorry. There's, there's a lot of growing pains that are happening this year. And- yeah, especially just considering all the legalities around it and the fact that, like everybody's basically talked about right now, there's so much gray area because so many things have not been figured out yet. Yeah. So, Wes, one last bit. thing, J- Jason has had sixteen hundred and. 1,700 athletes already complete deals on his platform. Open doors, 1,650. Yeah. And uh, Eight. Open Doors has 15,000 student athletes signed up. So we are, these are established platforms. It's the best way to find and, and connect with these folks right now. There's just, there's too many simple things that you can mess up in these deals, sitting yeah. in on thousands of them, right? Like I know even you mentioned Yoke, like Yoke got in a lot of trouble on July 2nd. I'm sure Darren probably remembers this too, where you're capturing the rights of the athletes forever, unlimited use. And it's like, I don't know if they knew what they were doing, that athletes wouldn't like it, or people like Darren would be like, oh my God, how did someone sign this? Like, there's just too many things to like paying the athlete, to having the athlete include a paid partnership with the athlete to make sure that it's actually legal on social media, if it's a social media deal, actually paying the athlete, right? The tax implications of it. There's too many simple things that are like, 
those are the things why I use a marketplace like a market price. Um, and then two, like I to plug market price quickly, like it's so hard to know which athletes are even interested in your company, in, in the housing, in the yeah. specific location. Yeah. So on a company like market price, and this is what separates us from everybody out there. It's like you sign up to our website. It's free for any company. So it's free for any housing company. They create a campaign. It's like a job posting where you don't even need to know who you're interested in, right? You can just say, hey, here's the states that I operate in. Here's the cities I operate in. And then our network of athletes, like they're applying to a job. I'm done with dating app things, right? I moved on to job. It's a little older of an audience. I'm cool with that. They apply to work with you because they need housing. So that's the zero to one part of that's why it's so difficult. And like we had some of my most favorite deals are the most random ones where there's a company that helps athletes with asthma. And it's an asthma device. And it's like, well, how do you, where do you even start? Which athletes have asthma? They post one campaign and they've gotten double digit yeah. applications from all athletes with asthma that play all different types of sports. So it's that initial zero to one that is so hard that you don't even need to know what you're doing on a company like Market Price and you could hit home runs in athlete marketing. Yeah. Um, that's why you use a platform like ours. Well, let's talk a little bit about strategy and, you know, and, and let's talk about, you know, what athletes make no sense for for a specific engagement you know i i tend to think that uh you know a football player is probably you know something that works out better for a live event you know like a pool party or something and then you know maybe your tennis player is is probably going to be better at creating you know instagram content um to promote your property i may have that completely wrong Can <laughs> so i just with you? yeah yeah i want i want to just bring that up to you guys and i know mike you've got you kind of put you know, student athletes in, in three to four buckets when it comes yeah. to my I'll try to, I'll try to cut, tie a couple of things together. Yeah. And then uh, Jason, you can jump in after me. And, and Tiffany has a good question, had a good question here in the chat or a follow-up about athletes perhaps coming to them and asking for rates that they can't quite afford. I, I think these marketplaces, be it market price, open doors, yoke, or whatever else, it does create a safe haven, not just for the student athletes, legal issues, but for yours as well. in it being able to understand what the rates are, what they have been for like student athletes. And uh, the, way, the way I've really sort of um, described this to people that may, be not, uh, may not ha have as much experience in this space is I think you're looking at three specific buckets of folks that you can utilize for your brand. And, and one is... The sheer, by the sheer force of their superior play on the field, some people are going to be able to garner a lot of commercial value. Trevor Lawrence last year, uh, any Heisman winner, players of the year, people in the Final Four, uh, very popular Olympians are able to, successful Olympians are going to, by the sheer force of their play on the field, demand a lot of commercial value nationally, regionally, uh, locally. Uh, but bucket number two is important as well because you'll have homegrown athletes, perhaps somebody that has played Nebraska volleyball for four or five years and has uh, had a connection with the community now that has become very important. And they, it has made them commercially viable as well, not just in their adopted hometown of Lincoln, Nebraska, but also perhaps if they're from San Diego. And I think of a I'm referencing a specific person there. Her name is Lexi Sun. She is from San Diego, play, is a star volleyball player at the University of Nebraska. And on July 1, she was able to launch a clothing line. Now, people may reach out to her for their own endorsement deals, but 
it's also important for that person that on June 30th was unable to launch their own business line because they happen to be NCA athlete is now able to do that. So I think you have that person being valuable in potentially two different places. And then the third bucket, and there's one person I always utilize in order to uh, hammer home this point is uh, a young woman named Chloe Mitchell. Uh, there's various articles written about her throughout the year. And Chloe Mitchell was a Michigan high school student during the pandemic that was getting bored just like everybody else and decided she was going to build a she shed in her backyard for her and her friends to be able to hang out. Uh, her father played football at the University of Michigan. She happened to be a volleyball player that was going to Aquinas College, which is an NAIA school, uh, in September of 2020. She documented the building of this shed and amassed, uh, at last check, two and a half million TikTok followers as she documented this on TikTok. And the brands that started coming to her for endorsement deals are probably not the ones you would typically think would want to endorse a 17-year-old woman. Right. And they were Black & Decker and Menards and Ford Trucks. So all of these things were able to connect with her audience and garner millions and millions and millions of impressions. I think it's always important to know that that person that is a potential TikTok star or on IG or Twitter is going to walk onto campuses all over the country with the athletic director probably having no idea that they have this social following and the people that are following them on social maybe having no idea that they're a volleyball player or soccer or whatever else. We've thrown out a bunch of names here, but uh, Chloe Mitchell, uh, Jason mentioned the Cavender twins. They have 3.7 million TikTok followers. Olivia Dunn, who is a sophomore gymnast at LSU, is considered to be perhaps one of the most valuable student athletes in the country. She has four and a half million TikTok followers, 1.3 on Instagram, and is an excellent gymnast as well. So you can already go on to her social media followings and see the types of brands that are aligning with her. So I, I think you have to think of it in three different buckets, superior athletes, the homegrown athletes that have a connection in town, and then social media stars. That's a, that's a great way of looking at it. I, I want to ask one quick question. Um, Jason, I don't know if you had something to follow up with that, but I, I do want to ask this question because um, I know it's on folks' minds. Um, you know, I had a <clears throat> had a property that I oversaw at University of Arkansas that was right across the street from the baseball stadium. And, you know, we wanted to, you know, in a perfect world, be able to go to the, you know, to the baseball coach and say, hey, your players are right here. Why don't, you know, we'll give you a 15% discount if, for any of your players that, that choose to live with us. You know, we couldn't do that, uh, you know, before NIL. Now we, you know, now we can approach the, those baseball players. And I'm kind of wondering in that situation where, we're wanting to go after a specific team because of location to campus or whatever. Should we go through some, some, something like market price for those team deals, or is it best to just go to the coach? Yeah, I think, and cause you guys are looking to do like housing, right? That's a specific example. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. Some type of housing discount. Yeah. You know, I think the thing you need to watch out for with some of these market places is, is also how they generate revenue. Right. So I think Tiffany was mentioning, 
the fee is a lot higher, right? Um, well, a lot of marketplaces charge 20 to 30% on top of deals, right? Because that's how they generate revenue. So I think before you even start just doing the research, right? And, and what's out there for MarkPrice, we charge 5% for brands. It's free to sign up. It's free to use. You can do free product deals if there's no cash that switches hands. Mm-hmm. It's always free to use. But um, I, I imagine, like, again, that process of making those connections I'll save you the dating app example, but like, think about it. You're, you're starting relationships from zero. You may not have those relationships. There are platforms like a market price where we have thousands of athletes signed up for the exact reason that they want to do endorsement deals like this, whether it's finding housing or partnering with a vegan pancakes company or finding new compression gear. They want to do endorsement deals like this. They're literally signed up to a website for one reason. Um, there's other reasons too with financial literacy and personal branding, but the biggest reason is finding endorsement deals. So I think why not sign up to, you know, the, the marketplaces as possible. It's going to save you a ton of time. With that being said, if you have the coach on speed dial, yes, give him or well, her. And, and Darren, let me ask that question too, because I'm not entirely sure, but um, doesn't the policy, does the policy allow us to, to work with coaches? Um, are they able to, to navigate um, uh, those deals or propose those deals to their team? Oh, I, I thought originally you were asking whether you could do an NIL deal with a coach. You're asking whether the coach can help facilitate It'll the deal it. itself. Right. It's a tricky question. Um, the first thing that I would always recommend, as mentioned before, is address your state-specific NIL law if you have one. So, for instance, in the state of Florida, there's a clause within our NIL law that says, a school, an athletic department, any individual associated with the athletic department, including a coach, cannot compensate or cause compensation for the athlete. Now, that's not in every state NIL law, and certainly it obviously doesn't exist in in a law that does not exist in a state because not all states have NIL laws. So the very first thing you do, you address whether there's an NIL law in your state and then what that NIL law states Secondarily, you'd look at the school and all the policy if there is one. Um, so if there is a prohibition there, it would be it really isn't a concern for the brand, to be quite honest. It's more of a concern for the university, the athletic department and the coach him or herself. Um, the best practice is if you want to reach out to an athlete, um, don't negotiate the deal through the coach. Ask the coach for the athlete's contact information. There's absolutely no prohibition on the state level, NCAA level, or school level uh, against a school, an individual providing contact information. So that's the best route. Great. Hey, we are at the top of the hour. And, um, you know, if you guys have some time, I'd like to uh, – we've got a couple of questions that have come up in the in the chat. I'd like to try to answer them. But, you know, if you guys have got something to go on to, completely understand that as well. Um, Greta, do you want to um, – Take this question from, from Ron. I really, really wanted to. If you guys give us like one more minute, I'll be your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm sure we can find something. I else. mean, that's literally more important than anything else you have to do. Um, well, I've got another question that Tiffany asked again that I'll. Well, yeah, I'll, I was going to, I was going to do make it a quick two. Yeah, I got you. So I got you. 
Uh, Ryan and Tiffany both brought something up and it's, it's directly related to all of this. So one, Ryan brought up our audiences are hyper local and niche while many athletes have a reach beyond the locality we're typically target. How do you suggest that we find athletes with the right reach that aren't overly expensive because they have a large national reach? So one, I wanted to, um, address that directly. And then also we kind of know the answer, but then have you answer that as well. Um, one, I wanted to tell everybody something to consider for a couple of these is place your, obviously you want to take your ads and you want to place it on the kind of products that we're talking about right here and that we're going to bring up and they're going to give more information on that. But two, listing it with what it is that you're actually wanting these athletes to be doing. So do you want them to do on-site and off-site event promotions? Do you want them to be promoting your tabling events? Do you want them to be promoting your specials or being tour, giving video tours of your models and your amenities, these types of things? And then what are you willing to offer them? Is it 50% discount, 20%, 30% or absolutely free housing for what size floor plan? And if that's what you're willing to offer, then that would be the ad that you would be placing with one of these platforms. And then the athletes are going to be scrolling through these particular platforms and they're going to choose you. So knowing with that knowledge, then they would choose you regardless of what, how big they are. Is that, is that an accurate response? I, th I think so. For market price, yes. For yes. other platforms, not necessarily. Yes. Okay. So you may get a huge athlete. You may get a smaller athlete. You may get, you know, more than one that might choose your property. And, you know, ideally that would be really great. And so it's, they're still going to be local. They're still going to be at your school and you're still going to be able to get a lot of that promotion. The follow-up question from Tiffany was um, regarding paid partnership, which is something that we're dealing with with a lot of influencers. So is it a requirement for any of these that they're going to be required in the event that say they do something on Instagram or something or on TikTok, regardless, are they required then through any of your guys's platforms to state that what they're, if they're doing a video to state that this is a paid advertisement or that it's an ad, or is that something that they would work out on the back end with their actual legal agreement? Yeah. Uh, really good question. I could, I could take that one. I want to even take a step back too on if you are offering athletes anything, even if it's product value, even if cash doesn't change hands, there does need to be, quote unquote, like an NIL activity. They need to do something in exchange for it. You can't just give them free stuff because and I'm pretty sure that's whether that's the NCAA policy. I don't know, Darren, you could correct me on that, but we make sure that there has to be an NIL activity when given anything. And yeah, like again, with, with market price, like we have a team of 11 employees, seven of them are dedicated to even what you mentioned, Greta, like how do you best craft a campaign like upfront, right? Before you get into it. Like I said, brands can come and have no idea what they're doing. Sign up to market price will help you craft and ideate and execute a full marketing strategy. Um, again, included in the free membership because we want to help our athletes find awesome deals. So we'll help you everything from creating that campaign to through the platform, being able to remind athletes. And that goes to the education piece, right? That athletes can even do something like that. Add a paid partnership, add hashtag, add hashtag sponsored. Um, so, yeah. I mean, in short, absolutely 1000% yes. Uh, and I would say every single, I, I would be very surprised if Open Doors doesn't do that as well as other yeah. marketplaces, but uh, yeah. Great. Um, and then the last one, if we want to take the very last question is, how do you think that this may impact Canadian athletes playing in the state under a student visa? Any implications or predictions of how NIL may affect Canada? Tricky questions. 
Yeah. Feels like a Darren question. Would love to hear Darren's thought <laughs> on international law. It's probably a Darren question. International um, law. So, which I don't practice at all. Of. Uh, but <laughs> with regard to athletes here on visas, um, the guidance has been stay away. Uh, that the athletes would be jeopardizing uh, their visa status by engaging in this type of activity. So every school's NIL policy that's been published has said they can participate. Um, no state NIL laws say anything to that effect. But until there's guidance that's provided from the federal government to the contrary, um, international athletes are just staying away from doing this type of activity because it's not worth the risk. Uh, and I, I don't have any um, idea as to if and when that type of guidance will change. But for now, that, that is what everyone's being advised. Marcel, that was a really good question because as Darren was answering it, I was thinking about all of the, um, a lot of the international residents that I had were, um, were student athletes as well, especially tennis team seem to be always a lot from Spain for some reason, but yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. Thanks Darren for that answer. You want to know um, something unfortunate too, not to like, you know, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but we've had so many athletes sign up for market price and have no idea that it's a stay away. And it's like, man, really? like we need to help in the education of, like we we we've told athletes like I'm sorry you can't be here yet like yeah you can have a free profile but yet we're not letting them connect with companies um, and that's an uncomfortable spot for us to be in obviously we'll do it because we have to we don't want to get them in trouble um, but that that's the thing where it's like some athletes that we feel like that's that should be on the school one thousand percent. Hey, I'm going to take I'm going to take this away from NCAA and talk about esports really quick. Oh yeah. Um, uh, my office is a half mile from Winthrop University, which won the national championship. At, I don't know, Call of Duty or something. I don't know what it was. It was a no, big they they, they competed in our CSMG ran a national championship in the spring. Yeah, Winthrop won in Rocket League. It was yeah. their first national championship of any kind, and yeah. they're part of the athletic department. And so it's their first athletic department's national championship. So, uh, you know, NIL doesn't affect them, but I'm wondering, you know, because uh, those guys have actually been taking sponsorship deals. I mean, you you, you yeah. see them around campus wearing stuff that, that sure. uh, especially our local, we've got a local company here called Comporium that provides the uh, the university with, with internet. And they, of course, sponsored the, you know, sponsored the esports team and all that. So mm -hmm. you constantly see them wearing stuff that, that has comporium on it so you know i'm just i'm just wondering if because i i know that that market's going to continue to take off and i think there's a lot of you know opportunity there as well can is market price or any of these um, platforms working with with esports athletes as well absolutely editors yeah i i i for one love well even taking a step back and you guys mentioned earlier but like I do not believe NIL, if anything, NIL increases the size of the pie, right? Like one of my favorite stats to throw out is digital media spend was $53 billion last year. Influencer marketing, it was like $2.5 billion. So I think over time, we're really bullish on the general creator economy, which I consider esports athletes creators as well as student athletes. Mm -hmm. So those numbers are going to start to even out, especially with like Apple's new privacy update. I just, I'm absolutely extremely bullish on it. I started a company because I'm so excited about it where I think companies are going to continue to invest. I think esports, 
it has like it has an incredible capacity for advertisers where these kids are streaming for hours on end and yeah. you could be the chair you could be the shirt you could be the background poster you could be the drink that they're drinking and it's just an incredible opportunity for brands to get eyeballs and like you know mike was mentioning earlier like it's the eyeballs on it for a elongated time I mean, there's some advertisers where they spend money on video ads and it's like, great, did they watch for at least two seconds? If so, yeah, then count it. And it's like, well, really? That's where you're spending all of that money instead of with an esports athlete and having someone being able to talk to your product with engaged individuals and buyers. And that young demographic is something that so many advertisers are going after, 18 to 22 that is like one of the most popular markets to go after in terms of marketing. So it's just such a no brainer opportunity for a ton of new companies to come in here. A lot of companies to move money towards just esports athletes. And I mean, student athletes in general. So very excited about that opportunity. So Wes, you stepped in it by asking me an esports question. Cause I, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm way, I'm neck deep in esports uh, at CSMG. Uh -huh. It's a lot of what we do. We do live and we put on live events for, uh, collegiate esports, and it is a space which is everyone would admit fairly immature. Collegiate esports is professional esports has some some maturity, but even that's evolving quite a bit. And to Jason's point, it's a market that we're all very bullish on. But to to frame it properly for college, it's that. NCAA athletic departments have had to keep esports at arm's length for the reason that Jason just mentioned. They've already been getting endorsement deals. They're allowed to compete for prizing money, which obviously up until this year is a no-go as far as the NCAA is concerned. You can't be earning money on the activity, specifically on the activity that you're doing, and then be an eligible NCAA athlete. So many esports programs don't want to be under the athletics umbrella because those athletes are very comfortable making prizing money, traveling around uh, on their own dime or on sponsorship dime in order to compete. So there's some complications there, but I can tell you that <laughs> based on the popularity of it, everybody's rabbit ears have gone up in the NCAA athletics world. And they're saying, well, maybe we should embrace this. And to be honest, on most college campuses, the group most capable of marketing, scheduling, the esports program is the athletic to, athletics department. The development department can't do it. Facilities isn't going to do it. There is, they, they have success in marketing specific athletes and scheduling people to show up to events and everything else. So uh, there's a lot to go through. I've talked to hundreds of esports programs this year, but Wes, you brought up Winthrop University, they're a really good example. They have an esports coach. They give out scholarship money. They're under the athletics department, and those athletes can freely get NIL deals. Uh, so we've already uh, structured and uh, gone through some NIL deals yes. with some esports competitors. So we're excited about it. I think that space is just getting started. So we're in on the ground floor, and obviously we feel great about the space uh, in the future. Great, great. Well, guys, we're at a quarter past the hour, and I, I see that look from from Greta that I, I think she's got to run to the restroom. I'm not too sure. That or the, the postman's at the door trying to deliver a package. So anyway, guys, thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you.
Well, again, a big thanks to to those guys, Mike, Darren, uh, Jason, for for spending their time uh, doing that. That was, you know, they didn't really get a. They weren't doing that because they were going to have a ton of of student housing providers <laughs> running to them. But I, I really dug deep with those guys because of uh, some mutual connections that we had. And as we talked more and more about it, and they were educating me on it, I said, "Hey, I think we need to do a webinar." And they were they were you know, happy to jump in, and, and I really appreciate that. So, any 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 big takeaways that you guys want to talk about, or, or should we just get into talking about Easy Turn? Because I'm kind of excited about talking about that. <laughs> you asking me that question? <laughs> uh, no, I thought it was about Easy Turn. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably where I should go as a founder. I'm assuming, but uh, I thought well, for, for, for starters, Chase, just for anybody out there that doesn't know what Easy Turn is, can you explain really quick what it, what the platform is about and what you guys are doing? Yeah, so I mean, it basically started off with just trying to digitize the turn board. Uh, from our experiences in managing turn and running turn, uh, from digitizing, look, putting it on an Excel sheet is digitizing it. Well, <laughs> software and app, a software and app type situation. We wanted to basically have the transparency of that. I called it a black hole when I was a vendor, and you know, I would get a piece of paper from the uh, the property manager to go do these units, and then I get text messages all day. How's this unit going? How's this unit going? Have you finished this one? We need you to go. We need you to go over here. We need you to go over there. So that was the first thing. <laughs> Those that that don't know the story, you know, Chase didn't just come out of the the NFL and say, "Oh, throw some money into a tech company." <clears throat> it wasn't it wasn't like that at all. Yeah. He actually started a, a cleaning business, and he's from Lexington, so of course there was a lot of a lot of student housing there to be cleaned, and then. You basically, you were working with Lincoln. Lincoln was a, a facilities director at at a property. And then ultimately everybody, you know, I think knows about the uh, the big deal, the EDR and mm-hmm. and uh, University of Kentucky ended up striking to, for their, for their P3, you know, it was like 6,700 beds and Lincoln was, was hired by them to, to oversee that from a facilities director standpoint and, you know, at that point, you guys knew, okay, <laughs> 6,700 beds, we got to do something different. Right. And that was really kind of the birthplace of it, right? Yeah, that's the birthplace of it for sure. And before I even got the chance to even get at UK, I, my company, we were trying to do, uh, it's called Help, Inside Helping Hands. I don't know if that's good or that's bad to mention that, but essentially, uh, we were doing turn, we were doing turn, and we were, I was utilizing a lot of my teammates across the country. Um, so essentially I had teammates that lived all over the country, pretty much that either I was teammates with at one time from playing in NFL, from playing in UVA, especially at UVA, it's all up and down the East coast, um, from people Teammate, that were like cousins, I mean, yeah, <laughs> whatever you want to call them. But essentially, um, there was two things I knew about turn when I first started. So my first actual contract in helping hands was actually in, uh, in, in Dayton, uh, Ohio. So not too far yeah. from Lexington. Um, and we did a couple and uh, the lady called down to Lexington and said, hey, you guys got a cleaning company from Lexington, Kentucky that's up here in Dayton. They said they can't get no work in Lexington. So uh, uh, we were doing a good job up there. And then we ultimately got a lot of work in Lexington. And then from there, uh, we, we tried to expand it. And one thing I knew about Turn right then and there was the fact that it's not a normal job. It's not a normal job for just a traditional cleaning company or a traditional painting company or a traditional uh, carbon cleaning company, just because of the workload and the volume that needed, and more so the best 
the best quality needed was somebody that wasn't going to quit. And that was um, the quality that we provide as athletes and as football players in my mindset was the fact that we know how to do tough stuff. And that was a tough thing that I was getting into. And I was realizing like, well, my teammates, I got a lot of teammates and stuff that are struggling to find things to do after sports. And I was like, here's something that you could do. And I was putting them in, I was putting contracts in their hand to go execute, find people on the ground uh, to do these cleaning deals. So we, we scaled up pretty fast. My second year, we were probably in eight, 10 states, taking on, taking on too much than what we can chew. But ultimately, like I said, at the end of the day, I think that the property managers that we work for were more happy that we showed up every day early and we left late uh, was kind of our motto. And uh, it's kind of how we grew that thing. But the biggest thing I learned was the fact of like everybody was doing it the same way. And that wasn't just a Lexington thing. That was a national thing. And in that space, I realized eventually that technology needs to be done well because I was spending most of my I was spending more time trying to invoice at night than I was actually doing the actual work during the day. Uh, and figuring out what do we do, what do we complete, all those different type of things like that. So ultimately met with Lincoln and, you know, he said he was trying to come up with a, a way to turn the UK with a, with more efficiency. And, uh, you know, we decided let's let's take this thing on and let's try to draw it out because the, the, the benefits were endless as far as like if everybody, I mean, I can be better at my job, he can be better at his job and everybody at the end of the day wants to wants to get that done and, and win on that level. Um, so that's how things started for us at Easy Turn and things are going well so far. I never thought the journey would be this far. We know when we first created it, we, uh, we thought that, you know, me and Link were like, all right, we'll build it and it'll just be something that, that just you build it and leave it type situation, lives in the app store, you make money off of it, et cetera, et cetera. Nah, it's nowhere close to that. We're, we're starting a tech company. So we got a full, <laughs> full development team. Uh, you know, we have inspections in our platform now it, it's, it's turned into a, a thing of its own. Um, people are using it for preventative maintenance, warranty tracking. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different things being used for our software in general, but we still think that we're the best in turn management space and that's where we started at. But essentially the funny thing is that we started, me and Lincoln said, all right, let's do this, create it, make it, and let's let it go. And it's been full time for ever since. So uh, it's exciting and I, I, I appreciate everybody I'm in the student housing space for accepting us and accepting our ideas and concept and uh, at least giving a chance to 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 be a space where we can grow in. And it's been it's been a space where we could we can uh, we could grow in and hopefully, you know, we can continue to grow and and also spread our wings into other industries in real estate. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's been it's been awesome to see you guys grow over the past I don't know three, four years um, that I've been involved with you guys. And then, yeah, and then seeing the product evolve as well. I mean, it went from strictly, you know, a digitized turn board, as you said, that, that was kind of bringing, you know, our our mobile devices and everything else together to utilize those to to be much more streamlined and and efficient. To yeah, now it's a it's an inspection app, and there's so many other things that um, that you guys are doing with it. And I'm hearing <clears throat> I'm hearing great things from not just both off campus, but 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 the on-campus folks as well. You guys have done a, a fantastic job of, you know, getting that out to, to them as well. And I think uh, that's that's been one thing I've heard from a lot of on-campus executive directors that they were they were really missing out on, uh, you know, that innovation, which is so weird because you're in a, 
a college atmosphere. Like it looks like you could just take that over to the, you know, to the computer science department and say, Hey, you know, fix this for me, <laughs> come up with something better. And, mm-hmm. um, but that just wasn't happening. And, uh, and so it's, it's been really cool to see the universities tag onto what, what you guys are doing. So, well, fantastic. Well, Hey, other than that, I, I do want to give you one more minute here to plug uh, something you guys are doing that I think is fantastic. <laughs> Lincoln has, uh, he's grown his, his podcast wings a little bit and he, he's now started his own podcast with you guys. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So we have a podcast called the prop ops podcast. Um, and essentially, you know, we just wanted to, first of all, anybody knows Lincoln knows he loves to talk. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, I just wanted to let him have a chance. I think it was a good marketing opportunity and also a way for us to get our story out there a little bit better. You know, not we're, we're mostly heads down on sales and product and things of that nature. But I think there's a lot to know with like getting to know us as individuals um, and then also getting to know some of our clients. So we do have a lot of like customer customers come on and show their experience and things of that nature from on campus, off campus. Um, and then also we just talk shop. So inspections, we talk what's the best best things with cleaning, what's the best things with painting, uh, how did the turn, what are the turn analytics looking like from this year? So. Um, from talking shop to actual customer experiences with Easy Turn and highlighting some different players in the student housing space and how they got to where they are and why they think this is valuable or not valuable and what they see coming up. You know, we just think it's fun. It's fun. Um, one thing about a startup is that uh, you're not rolling in the dough, right? You're not rolling in the dough. So, so you got to have fun while you can, right? And one thing I try to do as a leader of my team is to make sure that they're enjoying what they're doing. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And from everything I've, um, from what I've been around your team, you know, beyond you and Lincoln, it looks like you guys are having a lot of fun and, and, uh, yeah, I've caught the first couple of episodes and, uh, looking forward to, to more and would certainly, especially if you're on the facility side, you know, I think this is a fantastic way of, um, uh, you know, kind of broadening, you know, what you're, what you're doing on the facility side, just because Lincoln, he, that's why he co-hosts for us. You know, if there's something facilities related, we're talking about, I want him on here because he, you know, he gets it and, um, and is able to offer so much insight. Greta, any, uh, any parting words? Uh, no, that was, that was fantastic. Chase, you were amazing. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Chase, again, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, if if folks want to hear more about Easy Turn, it's easyturn.net, right? Correct. Yes. And uh, how can they connect with you on, on social media? Um, LinkedIn is probably the best, Chase Manyfield, but my name is my my handle for all my all my social media. So if you feel free to want to see what I'm posting about on Instagram or something. If you care that much, that's cool. But uh, <laughs> uh, most LinkedIn, I would probably say. And for the Prop Ops, just search um, the Prop Ops podcast on all your podcast streaming platforms or on YouTube. So Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. And we'll talk soon. Bye.